FX presents Under the Banner of Heaven. This case I'm working on is a double murder. Inspired by the true crime bestseller by John Krakauer. Oh my God. And starring Academy Award nominee Andrew Garfield. The evidence points to things and to beliefs that I have only ever heard whisperings about. FX is Under the Banner of Heaven. All new Thursdays, only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by the first ever Toyota Corolla Cross. Sometimes everything just clicks. Like when your favorite song comes on at just the right time. When there's two tickets left for the show. When everyone in the crew can agree on what album to listen to. When everything just feels right. That's the feeling of the first ever Toyota Corolla Cross. Available with all-wheel drive, Qi wireless charging, and advanced JBL sound system. It's everything you need. Nothing more, nothing less. Learn more at toyota.com. What's up, guys? Today we have a great episode. We have myself, <laughs> Cliff, Zach, and we have a great interview for y'all to listen to with Mr. Tom Rosenbauer later. Bum, yeah. bum, bum. That'll be com- coming up a little bit later. We A little teaser. We already recorded it, and it is fantastic. fantastic. Cliff yeah. did break Tom's rule. I did not break Tom's rule. You did break Tom's rule. I did not. I asked what city, not where to fish, which was his rule. <laughs> <laughs> what city should I fish what in? What city should I fish in? Not asking where. Exactly. Not where to <laughs> fish. What city to fish in. After I told Tom that we would not ask him where to, where fish. to fish, I did not ask him where to fish. Because listening said, to his other podcast, I, I know said, he doesn't like that question. What his opinion is to his favorite city to fish in. That's vastly different than where do I need to go fishing here. You did preface it with the whole uh, urban fishing thing too. So. Yes, because I said I know you're a big urban fisherman. Yeah. Where is your what city is your favorite city to fish in? I think it's like tomato tomato. That's not the same thing as where to <laughs> fish. <laughs> well, well, anyway, Tom. I want to say up front, since the po- your section of the podcast has not played yet, I was not meaning where do we need to go fish in certain cities. I was wanting to know what your favorite city to fish in based off scenery. Because different cities have a different mosquito stick and a different I didn't take skyline. it as scenery. I'm just saying. I, I don't care how you took it. I'm, expl- <laughs> I'm, I'm, explaining, my, I'm explaining myself. At this moment, I didn't mean where to fish. I oh. meant what city was his favorite to okay. fish in. So what we got for the uh, listeners tonight? So, well, let me tell listeners who we are and okay. what we do. Okay. Honey Hole Hangout. We hang out. We are four outdoorsmen who somehow afforded podcast equipment and figured out how to release it on the internet. We did. So we hope you guys enjoy. That's pretty much it. We work regular jobs and weekend warriors for the most part? I would say weekend. No, I don't want to say weekend veterans. That makes us sound more hoity-toity and 
we re- I respect the veterans too much to call myself that. Weekend warriors. Again. Weekend warriors. I say weekend warriors. Weekend outdoorsmen. I like that better. Yeah. Hey, <clears throat> weekenders. Cliff, what are we drinking tonight? Uh, this was your concoction. And you made it, it for is. us. It was very fancy. I took a playbook out of our last week's episode. It's a guest. With Graham. Playbook with Graham Jones. Yep. Colonel Graham Jones. And used his the mezcal that he left us to make legitimate Texas ranch waters. And they're good. They are delicious. Like, I, I definitely enjoy it. I think it... For me personally, I think it needs this over just having it straight or I, neat last week. I agree. Neat, it was good to me neat, but it's better over ice and I think even better with Topo. In it's it. it's better with this. With a little bit of lime, a little bit of that, that smokiness still comes through, but it's not like, boom, all I am is yeah. smoke. You know? Yeah. No, I agree. They're but very I could, good. I could drink this all day long. So we just put the mezcal with a little bit of Topo Chico. With a little bit of lime. Good half bit of a lime. lime. Uh, I'd say between us it was a third of a lime, but yeah. then I did a half a lime when I made my own second round. Oh, yeah. so you made yours special. My second round because no one else wanted a refill. It's true. <laughs> so and we're out of Moscow now. We are out of Moscow. We are. Um, just so you know, uh, we have some new videos out on YouTube. We do. They're uh, great. My trip down the Smith River is coming along. We're through day three, three days. Uh, when this comes out, the fourth day will be released. Yep. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy seeing my trip down. Got some great drone footage. Got some cool stuff. And so that drone footage just man, it, like it changed it. It takes it up a notch. So the drone, I learned a lot about flying a drone and getting usable footage. Or videos. Okay. It was a big learning experience because that was my first legitimate time, like taking a drone out with the intention of getting great footage. Plus, you got the intention of dropping in the water too. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of the footage that I got Wait, is you actually dropped your drone in the water. No. no. <laughs> no. So, but it could happen. Out it there. could happen more so than in a, in a field. So <laughs> <laughs> I. Like, flew the drone a lot, got a lot of footage, but then when it comes to putting it together in a video, uh-huh. a lot of it was, like, not great for, the, like, the great views of a video because I was, like, constantly adjusting the camera, and it was, like, real shaky, and so now, I think with- I've learned that, like, you want those very still moving shots, and it almost took me editing it and being like, yeah, this doesn't look great because you can't really tell why you're flying it. I'm just trying to fly it, but, like, now going through the footage there is great footage it's still usable for the videos but a lot of footage i lost because of me adjusting the drone like a mid shot or something mid shot or something like that you almost need to hire a videographer who can fly a drone i'm teaching myself how to do it let's hire someone diy it man yeah i don't i don't you, you got Monies? No, we do it for free it's a learning experience from the local college okay <laughs> We get, we get internships now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so submit your application to honeyholeangling at gmail.com. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> internships. Um, Zach, you went to the rodeo. Yeah, Tejas Rodeo. Tell us about it. Uh, yeah, so Kendall's birthday was on Saturday. Um, Happy birthday, Kendall. Happy birthday, yay. Almost 30. Almost. So it isn't like that. No. Dang. <laughs> Y'all <are> young. <laughs> so, yeah, she has some friends from college in town, 
And then the Tejas Rodeo, it's not it's not a huge rodeo, but it's one we have locally here in San Antonio, just like 10 minutes north. Man, it's just, it's so much fun. It's a qualifier, though. It is, I figured it was, uh, but I don't think I knew that for sure. So, okay. So, yeah, you get the, the people trying to work their way up to, like, the PBR level and stuff from there. Oh, that's just Let bull me, riding, but, like, the national rodeo circuit that runs through Houston, San Antonio, San Antonio Dallas, and all the other areas. They can qualify, qualify there. qualify for this. I don't know if there's another level between them, uh-huh. but it is, like, the first step. Right. Mm. Yeah, like, they have to do well there in order yeah. to uh, progress. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was just fun, you know. Let me ask you all this. What's your favorite rodeo event? I would have to say bull riding. Really? Uh, yeah. I think at that particular rodeo, because success doesn't happen that often for most of the events, I actually like the barrel racing the most at that rodeo. See, I'm not a, I'm not a huge barrel racer. I would say... And rodeos in general, mm-hmm. my top two events that I like to watch is roping. Roping's fun. And, and bull yeah, riding. Calf roping. I was going to say calf Do you like uh, team rope or do you like the calf rope? I like team ropes. Yeah, where like someone gets the horn, someone gets the back legs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's my – I like – that one was fun to watch there too because most people were successful at least somewhat. Um, but bull riding, I think there's only one person who made it to eight seconds. Yeah, but I mean – but even pros don't. That's, I mean, it's pretty hard to truly make it eight seconds yeah. on a, it is, a real like bull. Even when I go to San Antonio Rodeo, like at least a fraction a, of them. You get a good bit. Yeah, maybe make 50%. It. Yeah, maybe 50% make it yeah. to eight. But it, even San Antonio Rodeo is not nationals. Like, that's not the show. Right. I think the show's in Vegas. Yeah. Like, oh, that's, the, that's the yeah. premiere. So the like, show's in Re- Vegas. Like the big you like, get, national championship. Or world championship rodeo is Vegas. Yeah, you get you get good riders here, but not all of them are like the top, that of the top, top. cream of the crop. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. What, what's your favorite? I would have to say bull riding, and I like calf roping. Yeah, personally, that's the one where they uh, get them once, hop off the horse, and then yeah, tie the tie legs. legs. Yeah, which I find fascinating as well. But I do like the team ropes yeah. stuff. I think there's so much going on, like variable. That it's interesting. I like regular roping as well. I also like broncs. I like bron. I actually like broncos more than bulls. I don't know why. There's a danger about the bull. It, it, both of them are dangerous. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But there's a there's something about the danger of bulls because they so have big, the horns yeah. and they're so big and powerful. And the second they buck them off, they're still just pissed, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. One of them went after a clown when we were there. I also like the clowns. Yeah, the rodeo clowns, especially when they put on a good show, like in between everything oh, going yeah. on. And Kendall didn't know that the clowns actually served a purpose. Yeah, they give you. They, they distract get, the bull. Yeah, they get, they give a distraction so that the riders can get out. Yeah, Kendall did not know that that's what they did. Yeah, she thought and they, they were, also serve as entertainment. In they between. do. She thought yeah. that was their only thing, though, was just uh, audience entertainment. No, they'll jump in front. Like if a if a rider gets thrown off, they'll jump in front, like in between the distract. bull and the rider, and like yeah. they're putting their they're putting their life on the line. Yeah, they got a tough job. I yeah. will say though, I think rodeo is a very underrated sport nationally. It's fun. Like I I, I feel like it's it's bigger here. It's bigger in the western states. There, you get a few of them coming through Atlanta. You get a few of them going through small towns and stuff every so often. So, like the, but the appreciation out here is so much more. But I feel like it should be a lot on a lot bigger of a stage nationally than it is. Like ESPN should have some rodeo. Yes. Yeah. 
Well, they have cornhole now. ESPN does it. Cornhole holds, you know, a higher standard standard than rodeo. rodeo. Let that sink in. Think about that. Think we'll about we'll that. sit in silence for a couple seconds and let you stew on it. All right, that's enough stewing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we have a, a coast trip coming up. Yes, we do. We planned it today. Yes, we, we did. We're going on Saturday. Yes, we are. To the Texas coast. Yes, we is. To an <laughs> undisclosed location. Yep. Undisclosed we're taking solo, Cliff's possibly. truck, yes. and we're going to get a bunch of sand in it. We are. We, that was the goal. Can we? Can I make a side trip down the National Seashore? Do y'all want to run the seashore? If we can be back before the end of the day. Yeah. I don't want to go to the seashore all day because I don't want to fish the surf all day. I'd rather, if we want to do a seashore trip, we need to go in like October, November. Yeah, I like that idea. Okay. Because I just want to try it on the shore. And that's when, like, <laughs> that's when a lot of the fish are moving through, a lot more fish are moving through. And I just want to use that on this national seashore where you can drive on the beach. Nah. I'm bringing a nightweight. Oh, so, my purple hydros. I'm super excited about it. I, uh, bringing a three weight. This is semi work related, but <laughs> something that came. So, we don't talk about work no, on this podcast. No, I know. But we don't. A, guy, a guy was at the coast and was camping on the beach and uh, set up his tent and truck during low tide Ooh. and woke up at about 2 in the morning to water coming in his tent, and his truck was closer to the water than his tent was. So by the time he realized that the tide was coming in, his, the water was already to the door on his truck. Ooh. So he couldn't get in it? He, well, he tried to. He, they threw all their – well, what they did is they threw the tent, like, further up on the beach, and then he, like, as quickly as they could, and then he got in the truck and tried to get it out. But uh, he just got more – ended up getting himself more stuck because it's all wet sand. Oh, my god! Yeah. It took three tow trucks to pull him out. I don't want to think about that, Bill, because one tow truck out there – is ridiculous. I know what that bill is. The bill was $3,000. Oh, man. Ooh. Yeah. So, little tip on the beach. Uh, park as close and camp as close to the dunes as you can. Yeah. Not in the... Yeah, do not park, park like where it seems safe during low tide. Or at That's, least know your tides. Yeah. Know your tides. Or know your tides. But I wouldn't even want to risk it. Especially, you have a new truck, Cliff. I wouldn't want to risk it. No. Nah. I'm not. I'm. I'm only joking about taking it out there. Yeah, we'll drive it down, but we're not taking it like, onto the beach, dude. Yeah. So, um, but we. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we are. <laughs> we are going down, and we're going to do some fish, and apparently, we're going to go to the beach for a little bit. But off roading, and we're going to do uh, a little uh, YouTube video filming if we can catch some fish, and uh, we're going to cook up. A black drum or a redfish? If or? we catch a slotted size. If we catch the appropriate legal size, legal obviously. Size. Um, and so what are you guys uh, planning on taking down with you? Maybe we could give our listeners little tips on what we're taking. Maybe Plenty of Lone out. Star. Oh, okay. Or Dogfish Head, the, the lime. Oh, the sequench oh. ale. Oh, man, that's the, that's the spot, man. That's so good. <laughs> I'm not a bougie beer drinker, but that one is great <laughs> on the coast. So good. Yeah. You know what, though? I am not – when I'm coast fishing, it's so hot, and you get so dehydrated so easily. Like, I'm more beer-on-the-river person, but the coast, I'm just straight water. Now, when fishing's yeah. over and, like, maybe we're cooking up some fish, yeah, I'll have a beer, but – I'm not talking about putting it all in my waiting bag. And that's what I'd sound like to me. I was going to fill my camel back. 
up with with just with just <laughs> just the quintail. Um, it tells me a thirst by quench right there on the can. Okay. <laughs> and in the sea, yeah, sea quench ale. Yeah, um, literally. It's what else perfect. are you? What else are you taking, Cliff? What? Good vibes. Good vibe. I like that. Good vibes. Setting up for you know. A good day, good expectations. No, what, I, I, what saltwater rod do you have? I'm going to bring my eight way uh, Helios, oh, or mm-hmm. and put it with my reel. Okay. Um, which did you answer? Did you follow up with Gabe? Gabe uh, sent a question. I answered it, but I said no. I'm your like, answer was very sufficient, but I'll answer it right now. Gabe sent in a question that he has, uh, and we could have asked this to Tom too. But uh, that he has, uh, he's been using Hydros reels for his fishing, and he wanted to know if it was worth the upgrade to the Mirage reel. And uh, Cliff's response was perfect, but I will reiterate what he had said, is that the Hydros is plenty of reel for any type of fishing that you want to do. The big difference is that the Mirage reel is a completely sealed reel, whether the spool is on or off. The Hydros reel is only sealed when the spool is on, I don't think I knew that. And you weren't an Orvis employee. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Very the hydros is only sealed when the spool is on, and so you have to ask yourself: Is it worth to have a fully sealed reel to jump up in price? There's some other things that the Mirage does that are more smaller details. I'm not going to get into that. There are there is more value in other places than just that on the Mirage. There's a harder anodization. The reel will last you. I mean, the Mirage is a lifetime reel. The Hydros might not be a lifetime reel, but it's going to be a decade reel at least. I would say that the Hydros could be a lifetime reel if you're just fishing freshwater. Yeah. Thing is, the coast is so hard on gear. If you're like, I'm only at the coast... It might be worth it to go ahead and shell the Mirage, but you're talking double the amount of money for the Mirage mm-hmm. than the Hydros, and that is no small no, you're, you're, chunk of change. No, you're yeah. talking about a. a you're talking about you could have to a two Hydros reels right, for, for the price of one Mirage, and then maybe uh, it's worth it if money is is of no concern to you. Then pff, get them get the Mirage. You'll Unless never have to worry about. They don't it. make the Mirage and the. Sweet purple color. No. My understanding is that the anodization that they use, there's very limited amounts of colors. They can add. That they can make that real in. That are consistent. So, like, they can do a green, but it will never turn out the same green every time. They've, like, tested a bunch of colors, and, like, they want each reel to be the same green when it comes out. But they have a green one. In the Hydros. And in the Mirage LT... That doesn't count. Okay, so that's different. System. That's different. That's like a trout reel. More I like do a small, like. Yeah, I do like yeah. that. And it doesn't have that anodization that the. Yeah, I don't think the LT is necessarily worth the money. Well, in my opinion, I lo- I have one and I love it. I have one too, and I like it. I'm thinking about getting one for my. I'm HD. saying for everyone who spends their money. Never mind. I'm off of it. <laughs> <laughs> we already went into technical details a lot. Uh, but, yeah, so, Gabe, Cliff's answer was sufficient. And if anyone else is interested, you know, whatever, honestly, whatever gets you guys out fishing, if it's a clear water reel, you know, 
if it gets you out fishing, right. go, do it. I watched this video earlier today of this guy on YouTube, and he was just like, man, his technique was just nothing. But, man, he caught fishing. He was having a blast doing it. Uh, yeah. we, we got accused of being uh, – uh, what was that guy's comment on YouTube? Um, what? They called you a gangster. The, I no, did. They called Little Landon a gangster. Little Landon. Yeah, that's my new name, Little Landon. I got called a, a rapper because uh, – Let's see. I got a cokehead wrapper. <laughs> because you don't bend your hat bill. Because I don't bend my hat bill. And then we got accused of being uh, fly casting. 101ers. No. Uh, I can't remember what the comment was. It was I like but it how not to cast or bad casting techniques 101. Yep. Yeah. Hurt my feelings. On Zach's video. Oh, yeah, I'm at least a 201. <laughs> I mean, you have tall. You're, no, you're at least a 301. I'd hope so at this point. Yeah. But, I mean, who really, realistically, who cares? Just go out and fish. If your cast isn't perfect, it's okay. It will get better. And if your gear if isn't you perfect, can get who a cares? Clear water, fish. If you can get a clear water reel or whatever reel, I probably wouldn't get the Academy rod set up. I've tried it. It's really not that good. But like anything else, it's basic and affordable. Go out, have fun. Get your spin caster, man. <laughs> yeah, get a spin, get a spinning reel. Just go catch fish, man. Go, go get, get outside. Get some fun. water. They make a net with some weights on it that you can pick throw some, out. Pick up some trash <laughs> wire. Pick up some trash <laughs> wire out there too. That technique is hard. No, I agree. Casting Cast netting is not a joke. It's not easy. You see the people taking tumbles all the time? Oh, you see them take their teeth out all the time. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. No. Nope. Not great. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it gives me the heebie-jeebies as well. Yeah. Busting out your teeth? Yeah. <laughs> Considering <laughs> it I've gives done you that it. that feeling. It's like, ugh. Considering I've done it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Me too. Nope. Took a skateboard right to the face. Took a drumstick. Oh, yeah. Not pretty radical skateboard and a drumstick. So, Cliff, how are you? Shaka, uh, bro. <laughs> Cliff, how are you uh, planning on uh, cooking up some redfish or black drum? If that's Cliff's responsibility for this trip, so other than driving, getting his truck stuck, uh, <laughs> or not getting my truck stuck, I'm going to leave it as a surprise. Okay, mainly because okay. I don't know yet. Okay, <laughs> okay, but yeah, we're going to go out fish. I'm going to take. Do uh, you guys have a favorite coast fly? No, no. I'm just going to take all my saltwater gear and then I have, bring, bum off y'all. And yeah. then you're going to ask, "Hey, Landon, what fly should I use?" Yeah, yep. I have one. Box of saltwater flies. Hey, it goes both ways. You ask me about arrows all the time. It does. Hey, do you have? I'm an, not saying it's a bad thing. Do you have I'm happy to uh, share advice with my friends. Do you have enough leaders to go around? Ooh, I think I have a few. I think I have some. Too. Maybe not salt leaders. I'll have to check. Yeah, yeah, that's probably a good idea. You could, we could tie some leaders too. I have enough materials to tie your own leader. Okay. I might yeah. just go to the store. <laughs> so Sam, we're gonna need your help. <laughs> so um, yeah, I'm gonna. T- I like fishing contraband crabs. It's my favorite. I'm probably right. gonna throw some pop ups and crabby uh, patties and stuff. Ooh, you know what else is a good fly? The flounder. I hear yeah, that. Fish <laughs> I like the redfish softball. We also have or the, the to- softball or the redfish crack. Redfish crack. Yeah, is a good fly. I got some of those. I can. You can bum a couple. Um, we can also take the fish tacos. Yeah, I'll, I'll fish the taco. Okay. Okay. There you go. Hopefully so, it doesn't rust out while we're out there. Oh, is it metal? Yeah, no. it's not coated. I thought it would be plastic. I think it'd be fine. It's it's not going to – rusting takes time. Just rinse it off. Not yeah. just one time from going out. So, yeah, so we have a 
coach trip coming up this weekend, and we'll fill you guys in after we get back. Um, and uh, you guys ready to get into some articles? I am definitely ready. Which I want an update on my real rod combo that I bought when I was in Alabama. I have yet to rinse it out. Your uh, spin cast, yeah, spin cast, or spinner. I don't know about I don't know about keeping up with spin gear. I do, yeah, which is why I'm like not as hard on it. We'll go over there and spin it around, see what happens. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I'll do that later. All right, uh, we doing Florida man. Uh, not yet. Why don't we do Cliff's article first? Hey, what are you, what are you doing today? It's uh, Cliff's Conservation Corner. <laughs> so this is the on the Eurasian beavers. It's a conservation success story. <laughs> Eurasian beavers, okay. Eurasian beavers, which have been extinct in the UK since the 16th century. However, in 1995, which this is actually a new article, they're just saying in 1995, uh-huh. uh, a 10-year study commissioned aiming to reintroduction, reintroduce them to their native homeland. You can't just deposit a few beavers at the edge of a river and hope for the best. There's a lot of important criteria to consider. However, beavers provide many ecosystem benefits, such as preventing flood risk and creating wetland habitats. How, uh, thankfully, the beavers, in an effort with, in an effort, was worth it. 400 years after they disappeared, beavers are roaming. The countryside once more successful releases have seen population numbers climb in an estimated 400 plus individuals. So are these like bad beavers? No, they're regular beavers. Okay. They Not big, angry. They big beavers? Angry beavers. I used to love that show. Yeah, it's a solid <laughs> show. That's so good. I'm glad you caught that. Yeah. Um, Always one of their log cheese snack. Oh, yeah. You remember the episode where the teeth grow too much? Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. So the thought to be well, they were extinct in the sixteenth sixteenth century, which is seventeen hundreds. No, other way, fifteen hundreds. Fifteen hundreds. I get that confused all the time. Yeah. It's confusing. Um, right, because the twentieth century was the nineteen hundreds. Yes, and they are have been reintroducing them, and now they're getting an estimate of about 400 plus individuals, which I'd still say, I guess is critical. Okay. But, uh, but it's still better than none. Growing. Exactly. Yeah. That's and it's cool. a reintroduction. So I don't know if it's truly the same breed same or whatever, breed, or if they took like a bunch of beavers from, America. but I would assume that, uh, they were probably went extinct when all of ours were being hunted to extinction as well. Yeah. Because that like all the fur happened. trapping and yeah. stuff. All the fur trade and all that. Because they used it for a bunch of coats and different yeah. stuff. Yeah. And uh, vanilla flavoring. Yeah. Which, the I didn't realize this, but the um, Latin for beaver is castor fiber. For the Eurasian beaver is the castor fiber. Uh-huh. And I started thinking, I wonder if, and I know they used to make oil from beaver like fat and stuff like that uh-huh. it got me thinking i wonder and i don't know someone else probably does is castor oil technically just beaver oil i uh, probably not anymore but it's probably at, uh, at the i would assume beginning. it's based on that yeah you know? i would think so too huh that's a good question though. that's a good uh thoughtful insight cliff yeah but that gland though is called a castor or something right yeah so what was your comment about vanilla yeah yeah so they used to um oh yeah from their anus yeah, they're, 
their butt, <laughs> their butt, butt vanilla, their <laughs> butt glands. Yeah, they used to. Uh, yeah, they used to extract the stuff from a beaver's butt gland, and it was put in perfumes, makeups, and it was also used as ice a, cream. Yeah, as a vanilla flavoring. Yeah, you, or you like your vanilla extract would be made from the gland of a beaver butt. Uh, it's not that way anymore. Because remember, I looked this up. I think it's or it is, but it's like less than three percent in the world is made for it. Yeah, Cliff, I think that was a great article about the beavers. Thank you. I enjoyed it. So, you ready for Florida Man? I'm ready for Florida Man. Uh, we don't have a sound bite, so... Florida Man! Florida Man! <laughs> so... Brother! <laughs> I like it. Florida Man saves Chicago okay, from an alligator that was loose in Humboldt Park Lagoon. Okay. So... Basically, an alligator was loose in this park lagoon, and uh, Chicago city officials... They're like, uh, I don't know what to do with it. They tried for like a week to catch this alligator with no success, so they hired a guy from Florida to come and catch this alligator. They like flew him up? They They flew him up. They flew him up, and he caught the alligator within 24 hours. I feel like if he didn't... They flew him... Because he should have drove his beat-up old El Camino in his cut-off overalls with no shirt and no shoes yeah. from Florida to Chicago and caught this alligator. I'd I don't know if they flew him. They didn't get into that specific. But they hired a guy from Florida to come up and catch a gator because, because they, yeah. they could not successfully do it themselves. He was probably not. like easy money. Yeah, because like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm sure Chicago paid him a lot too. Yeah, it doesn't seem that hard to catch an alligator though. So... I just think it's great. This is a more uplifting Florida man story. Florida man saves the day. Yeah. Comes in and Chicago couldn't get it done. So they all called I, a guy from Florida to come in and take all care of the All I hear is you just need a boy from the South. Yeah. Problems uh, I saw another. Well, I, I don't think f- a Texas man would have been as successful as quickly as, no. quickly as Florida man. I call and false. As, as efficient. Maybe. I would say Florida man, Louisiana man. Maybe Georgia man. Maybe Georgia man. Nah, I put Texas over Georgia. And to be honest, I probably put like South Carolina man over Georgia man. Nah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You push your dirty mouth. (laughs) I did see another Florida man story with an alligator that I need to share with you for next week. Okay. That's pretty great. They are uh, suspecting that the alligator was released by someone in Chicago who had it as a pet. Like we've talked about in previous episodes, people taking them as pets, and then they realize, oh, this thing is growing and needs a lot of food. They couldn't take care of it, so they just released it into the lagoon. Chicken prices are up. <laughs> so, <laughs> Can't buy wings no more. So uh, they released it, and uh, they actually had to close the park for about a week until it was figured out. Figured out, and, and then I think it's going to go to a zoo. At this point. Oh, okay, that's good. Yeah. He gets, the, he gets a new home. And he's pretty famous now. I mean, this was big news in Chicago. What's his so, name, you think? Uh, they, he had nicknames. Let me see if I can find them. Gator. Uh, Chance the Snapper. Chomp. Chance the Snapper. Because <laughs> Chance the Rapper's from uh, Chicago. Chicago. Okay. And uh, Croc Obama. Croc Obama. I like it. Yeah. Those are some good ones. Yeah. That's my Florida man. Florida man to the rescue. I like it. Are you guys ready for Creature Watch? Yep. I feel like Louisiana beats out Florida, though. Maybe. Just a comment. They didn't call Louisiana man, and Florida man delivered. So I'm going to have to give the nod to Florida on this one. That's true. You know, we'll Uh, never know. They didn't 
produce an entire show on the History Channel in Florida over catching and doing alligator stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, History Channel might have had a history show on. The yeah, in- at one point. Wow. The Ingua? Ingua. Cool. You spell it M-N-G-W-A. So it is Swahili for strange one. Uh, It's also known as the Nunda, which means cruel man. Uh, So it's from the Tanzania coastal forest and is a large gray man-eating cat with brindle-like stripes, right? Paws are huge, teeth that are even bigger. So... When would you guys say that the story of the Ngwa was first reported? 1650. Okay, 1650. I mean, I bet it's in their folklore and stuff, but I'm going to say 1800s. Ooh, Cliff. I mean, that's a pretty wide range, but it was 1870. So, you know, you won today. Uh, so every day. The Ngwa <laughs> is bigger than a lion. It has the tracks of a leopard, but the reason why it stands out is because the tracks are bigger than a lion's track, even though it's the same shape as a leopard. So according to some, it actually purrs in the forest instead of roaring. That's cute. Right, I know. Um, So as the tale goes, how did the ingwa come to be? Uh, There was a cat that belongs... It's not cute when it's a man-eater. Right, or it gets how it became a man-eater. So there was this cat that belonged to the sultan. And it went around killing creatures, killing the people against the sultan, right? And eventually, though, it ended up killing three of the sultan's sons on accident, right? So it was cursed and turned into the Nunda, right? Or the cruel creature, right? And uh, the fourth son then set out to kill the creature, ended up finding it sleeping under a tree. And then while he was sleeping, he uh, killed it and removed its tail and brought it back to his father. So, every few years, this creature kind of comes back into, the, uh, into people's, you know, uh, communities. They talk about a creature or a cat that's larger than a lion that kills animals and a few people, um, which always leads to a big hunt, right? Everyone's like, okay, we got to go out and get the, the ingwa again, right? But what's weird is that this creature is actually known to get into your minds while you sleep. And it gives you such terrible nightmares that you wake up from your sleep and you're like, I got to get some fresh air. And you go outside and when you get outside, he eats you. Ooh. Little, little weird, right? So some people around the time were actually extorting people, going around from like city to city and telling people, if you don't give me money, I am a witch doctor or a witch man and I'm going to turn myself into a lion and eat you, right? So what would happen is that the people didn't pay these witch doctors would actually cover themselves with lion uh, hides and they would kill the people, the men of the village or men of the city. And so that's kind of how this... Like this really happened or this This really like, did happen. Like, So if they didn't pay, they would put on like fur. Right, so like this, fur. this group of, of uh, witch doctors, what they called them, would go to cities and tell and extort people and say like, if you do not give me money, I'm going to turn myself into a man-eating lion and kill you. And oh. if they didn't pay, they would literally put on the hide of a lion and kill you. And so people would see this happen. And obviously, like, if a man's dressed as a lion, it doesn't look that much like a lion. And so the stories of this ingwa kind of came from that as well. They would see these creatures that look like giant cats killing these people kind of for no reason. Mm. On top of that, 
people, many people now just believe it to be a large leopard, or there's this thing called a golden cat that lives in the area as well um, that people think it's kind of confusing, um, that they're confusing it with. So, Gotcha. Yeah. The story of the ingwa. That's an interesting, ingua. like, twist that we haven't had where the witch doctors were, like, dressing up and, like, furthering this right. folklore of this creature. Right. Kind of and legitimately killing people is yeah pretty like, serious right hmm and you can see how like people would kind of be like freaked out by that in general and more believability that. yeah yeah for sure well thanks zach this year's nba playoffs are going to feature a lot of great rookies and FanDuel wants you to be one of them make your debut on FanDuel sportsbook with promo code rookie and your first bet is risk-free up to a thousand bucks so you can bet the point spread, grab the money line, or build a same-game parlay. And if you make a rookie mistake, FanDuel will give you up to $1,000 back in site credit so you can take another shot. Okay, this guy's got potential. Make every moment more with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Sign up and unlock your risk-free first bet up to $1,000. We're looking forward to seeing what you're made of. 21 plus in President Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. FX presents Under the Banner of Heaven. This case I'm working on, it's a double murder. Inspired by the true crime bestseller by John Krakauer. Oh my God. And starring Academy Award nominee Andrew Garfield. The evidence points to things and to beliefs that I have only ever heard whisperings about. FX is under the banner of heaven. All new Thursdays, only on Hulu. Well, we're going to transition to our interview with Tom. And so we hope you guys enjoy our interview with Tom Rosenbauer. All right. We are really excited to have uh, Tom Rosenbauer as our guest uh, Tom, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Landon. I'm I'm glad to be here. Um, I saw on the website that your title with Orvis is Chief Enthusiast. <laughs> yeah. What is that? What does that that's mean? That's what they call you. Well, that's <laughs> what they call you when you've been there 45 years and they don't know what else to call you. <laughs> There's but, not another title. I, I'm going to ask them to change it, I think, because my wife hates it. So, <laughs> Can you get them to change says, it? That's a dumb title. So <laughs> I can't, I can't have my wife not liking my title. <laughs> so Tom, what all do you do? What all do you do? What is your day to day for Orvis? Well, I do podcasts, obviously. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I produce videos, um, you know, mainly how-to instructional mm -hmm. videos. Now, is that with the uh, new fly fisher that I've seen before? I've done I've done a lot of work with them, and we're also uh, we also work with some local videographers because they're they're Canada based, so we weren't able to film anything together. This okay, year. okay. Um, and then, um, you know, I, I, uh, I work a lot on the Orvis Learning Center. I work a lot on keeping that, keeping that up and running and, um, you know, keeping things current and new and fresh and refreshed. Um, I, I attend 
lots of meetings. Not a lot of meetings, <laughs> but, you know, I, I communicate almost daily with our social team. So the, the blog blog team, Phil Monahan and um, Julia Zima, our social manager, and, and uh, Tucker Kimball, who was um, our boss for all the uh, web social or the social PR team. Um, I do some PR stuff, working sometimes with film crews, and uh, you know, work on work on conservation projects. What, so it's a little bit, a little bit, of lots of lots of different things. What you said, conservation projects. What's kind of an exciting pr- conservation project you're working on right now? Well, the one that's the one that's that's been top of mind with me personally for years now has been the. Uh, situation in the Everglades in Florida in general the uh, water management in Florida the the Everglades is um, starved of fresh water and Florida Bay is actually hypersaline because it's not you know the, the great bonefish and tarpon flats in Florida Bay and, and redfish areas um, aren't getting enough fresh water it's hypersaline which is killing off uh, some of the algae they're causing algae die-offs and of course i'm sure you've seen in the news that what happens is lake okeechobee is this giant lake in the middle of florida which is highly eutrophic it's got a lot of man-made fertilizer in it and uh, because of all the agriculture that goes on there and uh, what they did in the uh, i think it was the 30s is they built a great big dam at um at the south end of lake okeechobee to uh, uh, create some farmland just south of Lake Okeechobee, mainly for sugar and and uh, sugar and, and fruits. And what they did was they shunted the water from Lake Okeechobee instead of letting it run through that area that's now agriculture, which was swamp. They shunted it to both coasts, down the St. Lucie River to the east and the Caloosahatchee to the west. And unfortunately, um, that water is heavily laden with with fertilizers and and algae, and it gets out into the estuaries on both coasts and creates, you know, dangerous algal blooms, um, uh, sometimes life-threatening algal blooms, and, you know, too much fresh water going into those estuaries. They need some fresh water, but too much. And so it's a, you know, it's it's a situation where, um, we, we had to figure out, or they have to figure out how to get more fresh water flowing through the Everglades. It was, you know, it was a sheet flow. It wasn't really rivers that would just flow um, along through the swamp. And the Everglades is starved of water because it's cut off. Mm. And um, Florida Bay is starved of fresh water. And the uh, St. Lucie and the Caloosahatchee estuary have too much water and too much nutrient-laden water. So the solution is to take Lake Okeechobee water and um, and run it into um, a big reservoir or a series of reservoirs and let the plant life uh, absorb the nutrients and then let that water flow south to um, to the Everglades and Florida Bay. So it's a huge project. Yeah, it's multi-billion, billion, billion dollars. And, and uh, over 10 years ago, they came up with a solution for it. And unfortunately, the political will and, uh, you know, all kinds of monkey business that goes on um, with budgets and 
stuff that I don't understand and appropriations and um, it just, it didn't happen. And in the past couple of years, it's gotten a lot more attention because the algae blooms and we're, we're making, they're making some progress. Um, right now there is a, a bill or something in front of Congress uh, to appropriate the millions and millions of dollars that need to go into this project to build it. Florida, Florida uh, was responsible for half of the money and the federal government said they were going to uh, pony up for the other half. And the federal government has, has been reluctant to spend that money. Florida, Florida, I believe has the money. Okay. Um, so anyway, it's a, you know, it's a, it's going to be a long multi-generational project, but what it'll do, um, you know, I mean, you need to clean up Lake Okeechobee too. They need to, they need to, reduce the nutrient load in Lake Okeechobee from, from sewage runoff and septic runoff and fertilizer runoff that needs to be done. Um, and that's going to be a long, long project. Um, I mean, it's going to take, you know, lifetimes to do it, but they need to, they need to replumb South Florida. South Florida is, is a totally managed water system where with canals and reservoirs and dikes and, you know, mm-hmm. it I mean we managed it to, to be able to live in South Florida and to be able to grow the crops that, uh, that we need uh, to eat. So, uh, you know, it needs to be all hands on deck, um, getting together and figuring out a way to, to get that fresh water south to the Everglades. So, so uh, sounds like a very big project. And how can the uh, average guy help out with a project of this scale, because what you're talking about, like you said, billions and billions of dollars, multi-generational, yeah. multi-generational. Yeah, it sounds, uh, you know, to the average guy that works a regular job and is a weekend warrior and fishes, and uh, it sounds right. like a big project. How can how can people help out with a project of this scale? Um, well, the the most important thing is when when money's needed and money's needed right now, they can they can write or call their their congressman senator and and urge them to uh, to vote for whatever uh, funding is up for approval right now. Okay. And and what the f- first thing they should do is go to go to probably to the Everglades Foundation. Go to their website. Um, they have they have uh, action items there that people can do anybody anybody can do any you know anybody that has a telephone or uh, a computer um, can can reach out to their elected officials um, because it's not just it's not just florida um, not just florida government it's the federal government too that has to fund it so they can you know they can um, make some noise and um, and let their congress people know that they're in favor of uh, appropriating this money for the Everglades, but they should go to the Everglades foundation because they make it easy. You know, uh, they make it easy to um, you just click in and, and get to the right person. And, you know, they have like a script. There, there, or something. there are, there are partners. I mean, we work with them. We work with captains for clean water, which is another great organization, grassroots organization. We work with bonefish tarpon trust on the scientific end of things. Um, so, you know, we work with a number of different organizations, but Everglades Foundation is kind of the central clearinghouse for a lot of that stuff. Okay. I think Cliff had a question. Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, 
going off of what you're saying about the Everglades and everything, thinking about it as someone who, say they're trying to get into or be an advocate for conservation, but don't ha- doesn't have a lot of time or the resources to dedicate to multiple things, what, in yeah. your opinion, as a fly fisher and someone who's in the industry and knows a lot about all the ins and outs of all this stuff, would be a bigger project or where fly fishers should focus more of their efforts to? Would it be the issue going on in the Everglades or would it be something along the lines of the pebble mine up in Baffin Bay? Well, because I think both it depends. Are heavy hitters. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And I think it depends where your values lie because, and where your interests lie, because we can't all, we can't all, um, stay on top of all these issues. There's way too many and, and it's a moving target. And you have to decide, you have to decide what's important, most important to you as a fly angler and concentrate and focus, laser focus on that, that area or that issue. I mean, Montana's got issues with uh, water law and water withdrawal. I mean, the West has issues uh, in general with water. Um, you know, it's, the one thing that that pe- people should not waste a lot of time on is is uh, things like catch and release fishing, <laughs> but I which I hate to say because it does it does do a little bit. But if you spend all your time and energy on on trying to convince states to enact catch and release fishing, um, you're not you're not really solving the problem because it's always always comes down to habitat. In your mind, another follow up would be in your mind as as we're a Texas-based podcast, and that's where the majority of our listeners would be, is there anything that you know of as should be the big target for Texas's fly anglers, what we should be focusing on here in the state? Would it be the canal in Aransas Pass or the SpaceX facility down in, around Brownsville? Uh, do you know anything? I honestly, don't, I honestly don't know. Like I said, you know, none of us can... None of us, we'd go crazy trying to keep track of all the threats to our, to our fisheries habitat. And, and I, I'm embarrassed to admit, I don't, I don't know. Well, I I don't, I I don't think that you, you necessarily should. I just figured as being someone who's such a heavy hitter in the industry might have some opinion, but I, I recognize as being a citizen of the state of Vermont, that you're not going to be in the nitty gritty of the, the Texas stuff either. No, but I'm in the nitty gritty of, of Florida and of Alaska um, and and Montana and, and Idaho. But, you know, you just you can't do it all. You right. Keep track of it yeah. all. Absolutely. So I'm going to shift a little bit to a listener question, Tom. Uh, okay. Gabe asked us, what are the pros and cons of social media in today's fly fishing community? Ah, good one. Good one. <laughs> well, there's should I do the pros or the cons first? Maybe the cons, and then lift us up at the end. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll start with Do the, the con- cons. Yeah. All right, the cons. Well, the cons is the, the cons is pretty simple. It's it's um, it's creating creating a huge insecurity in in most people, especially novices, because they see these pictures of big fish sometimes where they were fishing yesterday. And somebody posts a picture and they see that and then they feel like, oh, I was doing something wrong. I didn't catch a big fish like that. Now I feel, you know, I feel like shit. I, you know, I'm, this guy's catching all those big fish and I'm not catching anything. And, um, you know, it, it's, um, 
it's really it's really debilitating to to look at all that stuff. You, you think you're, you know, you, you see what you're missing. You weren't, weren't there on the right day or you weren't in this particular river or whatever. And you see what you're missing instead of, instead of enjoying what you have close by or what you had had on your vacation or whatever. You, you keep thinking that, you know, the grass is always greener and it, it's really, um, you know, I, I see I, I see this and I hear this from people all the time. It's just the, all this chest beating is um, is <laughs> is not a good thing mm-hmm. for the industry. Hey Tom, this is Zach. I have a question for you. Uh, I was going to ask if you ever get a chance to go out and fish without cameras in your face the whole time and actually get oh a- most um, uh, most of the time. Good, yeah. good, yeah. Most of the time. I fish a lot. I fish a lot of small streams. I do a lot of carp fishing. Um, I take vacations um, without without cameras. So, yeah. I mean, a couple of years ago, we did a, you know, this uh, season two of the Orbis Fly Fishing Guide, and I spent most of the, most of that with a camera in my face. But that's not the case most of the time. Yeah. So, yeah, I get, I get lots of, lots of time um, on my own. Yeah. Now you're just a, like everybody else. You're a huge urban fly fisher. You love fishing cities and stuff like that. Now I won't yeah. ask you where to fish in these cities, but I will ask you what's been your favorite city to fish in. And it could be either just the scenery or uh, I can't. I can't answer that. I can't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> They're all good. <laughs> I don't want to. I, I, I don't want to blow any of my spots. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Tom, you, you told us about the cons. What are the pros that you see in uh, social media influencing fly fishing? Well, I think it's never been easier to get information, whether whether you're going to, a, going to a river and you want to know what the conditions are or you want to know what's hatching or you want to learn. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of great stuff on social media, that's um that's that's good content i mean think of I, I think of when i started out fly fishing in the late 60s early 70s uh you know all we all you had was books if you didn't know anybody all you had was books and they weren't very good mm-hmm. um now you've got just a wealth of information now you do have to wade through it right you, you have to kind of you have to kind of parse it and find the good stuff but there's so much out there I mean, I use it myself for learn, you know, checking in new knots and and for fly tying. I'm I'm always on the web uh, watching videos from other fly tires because uh, you know I learn so much by by watching uh, what they're doing. So it, it's great as far as um, you know. You don't need a you don't really need a mentor these days. People decry that young kids don't have any mentors well they do they got youtube and they learn a ton (laughs) and they learn they learn a ton from that yeah and they you know they learn to sort through the junk um and uh yeah so you know that's cool and it and it's really it's really great um but you know there there are downsides i mean there's lots of downsides to social media in general people get nasty um but i find in fly fishing you know um Somebody just sent me a message on Instagram saying, don't let those meme guys get you down on Instagram. 
Well, I've seen you react and oh. banter with the meme guys, and I, I think love it. it is it's hilarious. my favorite thing. It's my favorite thing. I love making fun of myself. You know, they'll make fun of me, and I'll come back and make fun of me even worse. And I just, I have a ball with those guys, and most of it's in fun. You know, yeah. it's yeah. not. It's not really. They aren't really that nasty. I mean, they. Once in a while, you know, you're on nymphing in Tankara take a pretty big hit. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and certain I, people, and certain people that probably deserve it. Um, but I, I love it. I, yeah, I, and I, I think it's fun. I've seen your response to the meme guys, and I think it's, I think it's hilarious <laughs> the way that you interact with them. And a, a lot of the meme guys will admit themselves that you know they're making fun of themselves and the the things that they yeah. do in fly fishing. Yeah, and boy, you know, they've been very respectful to me when they've reached out to me directly. I mean, they've been really nice. So, you know, they're 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 just having fun. Um you mentioned uh you know reading having to read as you got into fly fishing. What are some of your favorite fly fishing books? Whether it's informational um, or stories. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they're they're kind of dated because I mean I don't read I don't read fishing books anymore. So the ones that that mean a lot to me are ones that I read back when before there were videos and stuff like that. But you know, um, Vince Marinaro's book Ring of the Rise, Modern Dry Fly Code, um, were very um, I, I, I love those books. I used to read a lot of Ernie Schwiebert. You know, I mean, he he had a lot of he took a lot of grief for his prose being overblown, but I always enjoyed it. Mm. Um, and of course, um, Thomas McGuane, um, you know, there is no better fishing book than The Longest Silence. There is no better fishing stories, period, than The Longest Silence. There's nothing that even comes close to that book. Okay. I'm going to have to read it then. I, know. I put it down my uh, list. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you haven't read Long, Longest Silence, your, your fly fishing education is not complete. Okay. <laughs> That's good to okay. know. That's good to know. Um, you got to read it. We we got a question from our uh, buddy Evan, and I think he was joking when he sent this to us, but I'm going to ask it. Uh, what's your go-to bait caster for flipping football jigs? <laughs> oh God, I can't. I can't make a bait caster work. I tried. I tried those things, and all I do is get a big snarl. I can't. I can't. I can't make them work. So. I don't have a favorite because they're beyond me. I'm not coordinated enough to use a baitcaster. You heard it here first. <laughs> baitcasting is harder than fly fishing. <laughs> yeah, I'm terrible. And I wish I, I, I would like to be better, but I can't figure it out. Um, so I was reading uh, that you are credited with uh, the magnetic net retractor. What and that is such a useful tool that everyone that I know uses. Oh, and it's crossed yeah. industries by this point. Yeah, oh, yeah. and it's crossed industries now. Um, yeah. What yeah. Uh, can you just kind of walk us through? Uh, maybe your thought process and how you came up with that idea. Something that's just so standard now that everybody uses. Yeah, you know um, the rod shop had gotten a, a, some samples of some rare earth magnets back when they were fairly rare. You know, they weren't that common, those really strong magnets. And the guy that the guy that was uh, running a rod shop at the time handed me a couple and said, yeah, play with these. See if you can figure out, can we, you know, think we can do anything with rods on these or reels or whatever. And I, I was walking around, clicking them together. 
And I thought of, I just thought of a net retractor, you know, I, I, I don't know, maybe I saw somebody um, with a new prototype of some, you know, one of those French clip type net retractors in the office. And I thought, oh, I bet we could, I bet we could make a net retractor that would click into place. And so I went to Jim LePage, who at the time was the, the head product developer. I think I was his boss was my boss later on, but I was his boss at that time. And I said, hey, Jim, do you think you can design a net retractor using these kind of magnets? And he looked at him, he said, oh, yeah, we can do that. So we, so we, he designed a cone shape that, we, you know, where the magnet would find itself. And we had a patent on, I think the patent ex is expired, but um, Jim uh, wrote a patent application. We got a patent on it. And um, yeah. And now, I mean, everybody that carries a net probably has a net retractor at this right. point. Yeah, I don't know. People, I have people one on that, my key ring. <laughs> yeah, there's people that don't use the magnetic ones, but I still use it. And I like it. Yeah. Um, what are some ideas about fly fishing that you have that goes against the grain of what would be considered the norm or things that you do or – as we like to say on our podcast, hot takes. Do you have any fly fishing hot takes or things that go against the norm? Yeah, lots of them, probably. <laughs> um, one of the things that that I believe is that we're we're teaching we're teaching uh, people how to fly fish when they're novices all wrong. Um, we take them out to a parking lot or some grass. And we put a fly rod in their hands and we make them wave this thing back and forth. And they have no idea why they are waving this thing back and forth. Um, and if I, if I had my own fishing school, and now this is hard because you can't do it. You can't do it in most places. But I'd have, if I had a fishing school and I had lots of money, I'd build a big bluegill pond and put a bunch of docks on it. And I would give someone a fly rod. And I would give them a bluegill bug and I would send them out to the end of the dock and say, okay, catch those fish and not tell them anything else. <laughs> Let them figure it out. And it would be mostly dapping. And then eventually they'd figure out how to get a little farther and um, they'd see how the fish reacts. They'd see what they need to do. And then I would take them off once they caught a fish anyway just dapping it or whatever. Then I'd, then I'd take them back and say, okay, now you want to be able to cast this thing 30 or 40 or 50 feet out there? Here's how you do it. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's a great idea. And I think getting people hooked immediately is... Yeah, because uh, my first... Yeah, go ahead, Zach. I was because my first time wasn't in a parking lot or in grass. It was... And a little creek in the Smokies with my guide, you know, he was like, just mine too. flip it there. You know, if you get caught in a tree, that's part of it. And you just kind of go from there. And that's what made me fall in love with it, you know? Yeah. 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 And all of, all three of us have uh, taught or been volunteers for the fly fishing 101 classes. And one thing that we struggle with where, our, where we're located, which is something that you mentioned, is there's not a place that we can go that's close by, easily accessible for everybody that right. we can, yeah. put, say, go out and cast and catch a bluegill. Yeah. You know, and there, there isn't in most places where they teach schools. Yeah. And that, you know, that's so it, it's not it's not practical for, for most places. But, you know, if I 
if I could do it, that's that's how I would start people out. Um, wh- Tom, what is the best piece of fly fishing advice that you ever received? Oh, boy, I don't know. Go early and stay late. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. What is one of your uh, most memorable fly fishing trips? What, and maybe it's not even about the fishing, but maybe about the group of people that you were with or an experience that you had. Or have you been on a trip where something just unbelievably crazy happened um, that's just a really good story? You know, nothing that nothing that crazy that that I can remember. Um, you know, you always think of a recent trip. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just easier to to fall back on that. And we did a we did a filming in the mountains in Wyoming um, a couple of years ago. That was just a magical place, um, way up in the mountains in the national forest in a wilderness area. And um, there were cutthroats in a fairly small stream. They were big cutthroats and there was a green drake hatch and the fish just went absolutely crazy. And they weren't pushovers. They weren't that easy. You'd think you'd think these big mountain cutthroats would be, would be a piece of cake, um, but they were tough. And um, they rose for about two hours and the, the scenery was just absolutely I can't imagine a place in the world where the scenery would be more beautiful than this place. So that was really special. And luckily we were filming. So I have a lot of uh, cool footage, a lot of, a lot of memories of, uh, of that. Yeah. Um, what are a couple things that you won't uh, leave home without? I mean, fly fishing can be very accessory heavy, but if you yeah. were to narrow it down to a couple of things and said, you know, I need these every time I go out fishing. What would those be? You're talking be? about besides rod reel line yeah, not <laughs> flies? Besides the rod reel line flies, what are the extra things you're carrying in your bag? Uh, if I'm trout fishing, I have to have some desiccant powder. Mm-hmm. Okay, for dry flies. Yeah, I yeah. have to. And, um, boy, tippet material <laughs> <laughs> in a good range. Um, you know, I often bite tip it with my teeth. So, I mean, I, I use the snips when I, when I can think of it, um, forceps for debarbing a hook, you know, I won't, or removing a hook. I won't go fishing anywhere without forceps or pliers. Yeah. Um, a bag of, uh, a bag of nuts. Is that your go-to snack? Yeah, you, it, it'll you know it'll it'll hold you all day. They're they're pretty calorie heavy and dense, and um, I don't like to eat when I fish. So I find that if I eat a big bag of nuts, I can I can pretty much go all day without having to stop and eat. Why is that? I'm curious. Is there a particular know, reason? A of, you just you just know, if you eat, a lot of fat, it, there's a lot of fat and protein in them, and I like them, so I just eat them. You, well, no, I was talking about that. You won't eat while you fish. Is that just because eating takes oh. away from fishing, and you just want to be on the water, yeah. hitting it hard? Yeah. yeah, yeah. One of the most painful things is on a float trip when the guide says we're going to stop for lunch, and he pulls out a table and a stove and all that shit. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you're out there to fish. You can eat anytime. Um, I mean, you know, people yeah. think people think I get to fish all over the world and I fish all the time. But, you know, every fishing trip to me is precious. Um, 
every every single fishing trip, no matter where it is, if it's down the road from my house or it's on the other side of the country, the other side of the world, every one of them is precious. And, um, you know, they're all special. And I don't, <laughs> I don't want to waste time eating. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so uh, I've heard that you make chocolate mm, yeah. as another hobby. Yeah. What is that like? What is that process a, like? Is that something that everybody could do or? Anybody that wants to spend a little money and, you know, devote some time to learning how to do it. Yeah, it's not that hard. It's like making wine or beer or anything like that. Um, there's some there's some machines you need and uh, you have to have a good source of beans. Luckily, there's a guy in Oregon called Chocolate Alchemy who uh, sells all the, he, not only does he sell the the tools but he sells really good special beans and uh, has an exhaustive website uh, for how to do things. Oh, that's uh, really cool. How to so do it. The, it yeah. seems like the resources are out there and you can get the equipment yeah. needed. And- yeah, the resources are out there. I mean, you're going to, you're going to spend, you're going to spend five or 600 bucks for a, you know, a grinder and a cracker and a winnower. And um, you need, you need these weird machines, but you can do it in your kitchen. I do it in my kitchen. Um, and, uh, you know, it takes, it takes three days, but it's only, it's only an hour each day. It takes three days to make chocolate, but it's only, only about an hour of labor each day. So is there, uh, when I was, I did a trip to Costa Rica, uh, when I was in college and we went on this chocolate tasting tour and they make the chocolate, but then at kind of at the deal, we, you know, we did some tastings throughout and at the end they brought us this big table and they brought a bunch of chocolate out, and then a bunch of random ingredients that pair well with chocolate, different nuts and, you know, berries and things like that. And, yeah. uh, you know, they just said, grab something, eat it with the chocolate, see what you like, you know, see what your palate likes. And that was a really cool uh-huh. experience. Is there anything yeah. in particular that you, uh, like a certain mix of ingredients that you like to throw in when you're making chocolate? Oh no! I don't put anything in my chocolate. My Nothing. chocolate has no my chocolate has anything. my chocolate has well my my sixteen year old has a severe uh, nut allergy, gotcha. so we don't have any nuts in the house. Um, no, I the only thing that's in my chocolate is uh, cocoa beans and organic sugar. Okay, um, and you get the different flavors from the different kinds of beans. Okay, very cool. Uh, uh, hey Tom, so I have a question. Uh, you said earlier that you don't really read any fishing books anymore. Uh, do you mind sharing of what kind of books you read now, or is it just kind of a, a mix of everything? Oh, it's a it's a mix it mix of everything. I read some I read some pretty good literature, um, you know, contemporary literature. Mm-hmm. Um, I read uh, I read a lot of nonfiction, a lot of history. I just finished a book about the uh, atom bomb, uh, the 160 days prior to dropping of the atom bomb, and oh, Harry wow. Truman. Um, I read a lot of, uh, when I can, um, Tom McGuane, obviously, if he has a new novel out, John McPhee is, um, is one of my favorite nonfiction writers. I actually did a podcast with him yesterday. It'll come out in a couple of weeks. So I was pretty mm. excited about that. That's awesome. Um, and then I read what my wife calls airplane books, which are like, you know, World War Three uh, military military <laughs> campaign books. You know, they're terrible. They're yeah. awful. They're like, you know, they're junk food. But, um, 
Whether page my turns. wife calls them airplane books. I'm not sure it's because I read them on airplanes or because they're usually about airplanes. But yeah. <laughs> you know, I mix those in with I mix those in with good good literature. Oh, we read a lot of uh, Michael Pollan. You know, um, you know that kind of stuff about about food and um, yeah, just all kinds of things. Hey, I, so Tom, I noticed that you uh, with the pandemic and everything, you Orvis has transitioned to a lot of. Uh, digital media, and you've been doing uh, tie-offs with Tim. Uh, yeah. How how are those going? I haven't been able to tune into all of them, but I, I think they're really entertaining. What what is uh, <laughs> what is your record uh, up against, Mister Flagler? My record is not good. I think <laughs> I've, I've I've won maybe fifteen to twenty percent of those. Oh. And I and I lost yesterday. I was very depressed because I we tied a mouse rat, which is not an easy fly to tie it. I. And I tied some, you know, Tim and I both tied dozens beforehand practicing. And my, my practice flies really look good. And I totally screwed up the finish of my fly. Mm. And he beat me by 85% to 15%. Do the, do the watchers vote? Is that yeah, the watchers vote. Yeah. yeah, the watchers vote. Yeah, I'm going to have yeah. to. I'm so gonna... it, but it's really fun. Tim's a great friend, a great guy. And, and you know, we tease each other. And, and the, uh, the audience actually teases us too um, <laughs> and they make some pretty pithy comments so it's really fun um it's 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 a really fun time but i usually lose um so what i'll do uh to end is i i want to tell you a story uh of about trout fest because you were at our trout fest this past fall and before i actually do that what did you think about trout fest i know you were uh, you you gave the the presentation at the big dinner, but uh, Trout Fest is a real big event for us, and we always look forward to it. And we were thankful you were there. Um, what what were your thoughts on uh, on Trout Fest? It, it was one. Of, it, was, it was truly one of the best events I've ever been to. Um, um, people were so warm and welcoming and supportive and you know there are a lot of families there mm-hmm. and um you know just a, a really good feeling it is truly one of the truly one of the best events like that that i've that i've ever attended oh, yeah okay. so i loved it i loved every minute of it that's great so i want to tell you a story and i actually have only told this to a couple people um but since you came on the podcast i was uh waiting uh I wanted to tell you because you were a part of the story, even though you don't realize it. So I actually gave a presentation at Trout Fest um, about fly fishing travel and how to pack. And whether you're camping, going away for the weekend, or whether you're going on a destination trip, these are things to think about and what you should pack and bring. And I don't even know if you remember, but... Uh, yeah, I, re- I was I, I, w- I was sitting in on that. You one, were sitting I? in on it, yeah, and yeah. Uh, that was really impactful to me because before the presentation started... Uh, I was, uh, getting ready and getting everything set up and no one was in there. And there were some people outside the tent and I could, uh, you know, they were reading who was speaking and, uh, the guys said, Oh, uh, Landon is giving the presentation. He's a nice guy, but, and then I didn't hear what they said after the, but, but anything that comes after the, but (laughs) is never good. And it really, it really got in my head before the presentation. Um, and, uh, you know, not a lot of people came and a lot of people that I know came to, to support, but the fact that you came and showed your support really meant a lot to me. 
And so I just wanted to uh, tell you thank you for that. And uh, it means a lot that you, you came and listened to my, uh, my talk. That's great. And it was a great presentation as well. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Tom, is there anything that you want to mention before we, before we close out? Hmm. You have no. any? We always end on some closing words of Did, wisdom. Do you have uh, some wisdom uh, that you'd like to share? I don't, I'm not very wise, Landon. <laughs> um, don't you have any more listener questions or something? <laughs> no, we, uh, we actually we got a, a couple listener questions, but uh, we worked through them all. So uh, Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate it. And have fun. And don't. Don't let the don't let the uh, the internet and social media get you down um, when you don't have a good day. I think that's great. Well, uh, Tom, we really appreciate you coming on, and uh, and uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. And hopefully we really like to do our 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 interviews in person. So if you ever make it down to Trout Fest again, uh, we would love to have you on again and actually sit down and. Uh, and have a conversation in person. I'll come. I'll come if they invite me. <laughs> somebody, somebody wants to buy me a plane ticket. I'm in. <laughs> Thanks, awesome, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Uh, first of all, we want to thank Tom again for coming on our podcast, and we hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. If you did, we would really appreciate it if you leave us a review. Um, comment, a, yep. comment, a written review. Uh, go check out our YouTube channel. Yeah, we are gonna uh, meet with Megan next week, and she's gonna talk about her uh, dog rescue. Yeah, group where she rescues uh, retired hunting dogs. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about this. Yeah, that'll be really neat. It's a and we semi got our dog from Megan through this a, organization. There's like a weird connection. Yeah. So, um, uh, we hope you guys tune in next week. And uh, we'll, I've been ending my YouTube videos with, we'll see you out on the water. So I'm going to end the podcast with. I'll talk to you out on the water? We'll see you on the water. Oh, okay. We'll see you on the water. I like yeah, that. Yeah. So that way we can run into our listeners and. Then we can have a thing. They will come with a handshake too. Yeah. What if we're not on the water? We're if we're in a field. Well. We're if we're in a duck blonde. <laughs> well. Only well, you would. Kind of like only you would bring the hunting perspective in, Cliff. Well, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you out on the water. <laughs> Gosh, Evan, we're so sorry about all the editing. What's he got to edit on that part? No, not that part. <laughs>